Hello, this is the intro, and this is going to be very brief, so you can get to the good stuff. Today I have with me Jay Brown. His podcast is called Yoga Talks, and it's been going for five years. It's got over 200 episodes. So he was, Jay was one of the early adopters, or is it adapters? No, adapters, thank you, plug into wall. He's a man, he's a human being. He is one of the early adopters of the podcast medium. He's also one of the early adopters of the video medium, teaching classes online, live streaming. So it's interesting to hear what Jay has made of this summer 2020 and the situation, challenges we find ourselves in. So without further ado, here is Jay. Jay, how's it going? It's going all right, all things considered. You said, <laughs> what are we considering to give the people some context, I suppose? You know, the world turned upside down and <laughs> there's no more in-person yoga classes happening for the last three, four months. Yeah. That's never happened in my adult life before. Yeah. What do you, how is it? Well, let's give, in case people are just listening from the future, we'll give them a timestamp. Is it the 1st of June today? The no, 30th of May. Uh, yeah, just the end of May, 30th here. Maybe it might be the first where you are. I don't know. We're on the other side of the planet, <laughs> no, no, I guess. And it's the year 2020. Um, very sci-fi so, indeed. I know, very sci-fi. But yeah, so um, the situation right now is that, well, it's two months since the the thing it was announced, the pandemic, the coronavirus. And I, I personally, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of streaming, a lot of online content because I was like experiment with that before and it kind of, it's kind of accelerated my the need to do it definitely well, how has it affected you short term like you i had already made a pretty big move online because mm. i had a yoga center in brooklyn for 10 years that i let someone buy me out of the lease back in 2017 and I moved my family to Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away from the city and kind of settled into a slower life. And in that process, I would say I started probably six months before I left Brooklyn. Right. I started live streaming all my classes I was teaching because I was already teaching a full schedule of classes, had people showing up live, but I just started live streaming them as well. And that was mm -hmm. on the advice of my friend and business partner Joshua Citron who schooled me on basically hey man listen if you're going to try to make a living he could see this center you have this has got a shelf life this is not a long-term thing for you because mm -hmm. the realist the way the real estate is you can't you know unless you own the building or something so yeah. he basically said you're going to move from Brooklyn because I was already talking about it, and he said, you need a way for all those people who you've met over the last decade plus, because I had like so many long-term standing relationships in that community. He's like, you need them to have a way to connect with you when you leave, and that's going to be mm -hmm. online. And I kind of fought it. I was like, no way, man. Yoga's in person. Yoga's, you know, you got to have my voice going in their ear canal in the same room like sanskrit vibratory quality it can't be <laughs> you know it can't be online man and he said listen i don't i then that sounds great and fine but i'm telling you if yoga is going to move online and you better get on it he mm. thought i had already missed the boat but frankly i was ahead of i mean certainly this moment because like you three years ago i moved maybe even you know, 60% of what I was doing kind of online. I still had in-person teaching I was doing. But so when the pandemic hit, in a way, my schedule didn't really change. I even had a studio space that I could go to without coming into contact with any other humans. <laughs> that was specifically for it, you know? Like I'd set up a whole studio to do these online classes, like kind of like a virtual studio almost. Is that for streaming or is it on, on demand? Well, it could be for both because I had on-demand videos already made, but once those are made, they're made. So yeah. the studio was really a place for me to go teach the classes rather than my living room. And mm -hmm. I found like a super cheap place for like a dollar per square foot in a really bad neighborhood 
in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So I tried desperately to get people to come, and I had like a few regulars who were coming to the imper- who were coming in person before this happened. But it was only like two mm-hmm. or three people, but that's all I really needed. And in a way, it's better for the live stream classes too, even when I have people on the Zoom. But I did switch to Zoom like a year and a half ago. Like originally, it was just one way on YouTube. Yeah. But then I switched to Zoom, and it was way better. I also use um, like a projector, so I put them up on the back wall so I can see everybody bigger. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if there's a tip for your listeners if they're doing online classes. If you've got space to do it and you got a projector in your closet. Hanging around. You know, well, some people around. got them. You know, I mean, if you do PowerPoint yeah. presentations with your teacher trainings, a lot of people do that. Yeah, true. You know, and the projectors you, are quite cheap these days. Yeah, not expensive at all. And then no. it's a way, if you've got a space to do it, you can put your desktop up on this, you know, on the wall blow everybody up and see them better and again a crazy thing is so like i was saying my schedule didn't really change like everybody's like oh i have all this time my schedule has been pretty much the same still producing podcasts every week and teaching all these classes but Mm. everything still changed because the whole world changed and i had a huge frankly increase of people showing up to the live stream classes people i knew from 10 years ago who were showing up which was kind of nice but yeah, to your question, I was already sort of set up for it. And like you, I think in it, if anything, my work's increased a bit. Oh yeah. 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 It's, 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 um, when, I mean, when you work for yourself, there is that, that constant need to keep producing because you realize that the harder you work, the busier you are, the more effective you can be and the more um, progress you can make. And therefore, it's so easy to find yourself just always on the computer, always on the laptop or send one more email. And now that you don't, we don't technically, like I don't have a direct employer, um, I'm doing everything myself. I, I and I love it so much. The thing is, Jayman, I, lo- I I really lo- love doing this. Like, I, if I had my way, if I was single, and didn't have yeah, basically, if I was single, I would just work all the time, constantly. I just love it, like you know. But yeah, that's realize... not gonna last forever, man. I'm with you. We are of the same <laughs> ilk, but I'm here to tell you, brother. I don't know how old you are, but it doesn't last. You can't maintain it forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but actually, it's, um, well, I'm, well, I'm 38, and I'm going to be a dad in about three months for the first time. So, wow, I'm very happy. okay, I've yeah. got two. I've got a 10 year old and a five year old. So I know what that's like, and it's a beautiful thing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm really excited about it. And the thing is, Jay, is like I, I realized that um, although I'm saying this, I would work all the time. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've got a bit carried away with this whole streaming thing. I was doing three classes a day, which doesn't sound like a lot when you're doing a public class. Because when I do public classes, I just speak. I don't do the poses. But in a stream, I do everything. And therefore, um, it's it's pretty tiring. So I, I've realized this week now, I'm, I'm kind of taking it down to just one class a day. Well, and, uh, do, let me say something to you about that, because I actually was talking mm-hmm. about that on my show, too. That's kind of a big issue. Yeah. And you... What I would say is if you are doing two-way Zoom calls, then you don't necessarily need to do everything. That's the whole point. If it's one way, you definitely feel like this pressure to like you have to demonstrate everything. But if you were teaching a normal class, you wouldn't be demonstrating everything. So why are you demonstrating everything in the online class? The idea mm. being that you're supposed to generate like an image of you doing everything. Mm-hmm. But if you're teaching yeah, a class, so, frankly, most of the time, people aren't even looking at the screen. They're just listening. They're mm. practicing. They're not even looking at you. So I don't yeah, know. For me, that was a big deal. That's why I switched from one way, which is like, and you know, it's funny when I was doing one way, I actually ran into this issue. And this is why I'm saying this to you is, you know, like you, I taught three classes a day for, you know, a decade. You know, you could do it for a long time. And I think there's stages <laughs> in your life but over time it, it isn't sustainable so you know I had like pain issues especially like when things got really tumultuous I mentioned the center and leaving like huge change in life when you're in your 40s is really stressful when you've got a wife and kids and 
like when you're in your 20s and you're like, oh, it's unknown and I'll just find my way. It feels like I got at this. But when you're 42, you're like, oh, shit. Uh. So mm. I was my body was really breaking down. I was in a lot of pain and mm. I was doing these live stream classes. And I went to my producer and I was like, I went and I did, you know, I demonstrated everything and it was like hurt my body because it was just not the right thing for me to be doing right then. And I went to my yeah. producer and I said, I can't do this. I can't. I can't perform for the camera because that's not what I teach. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's Instagram bullshit, man. I'm not doing that. And I, it's not right. It's not what I, it's not what I'm about. I can't be in pain and hurting myself and then supposedly be helping other people get out of pain. That doesn't work. That's bull. Yeah. And he said, well, what would you do if you were in a regular class and you had all that pain? Like if you came to teach in person and you were in that much pain, what would you do? And I said, I would sit in a chair and I would teach from a chair. I've had to do that where I didn't want to cancel, but I was in pain and I just needed to be in. And if I was in a chair, I was fine. I, you know what I mean? I can mm -hmm. teach from a chair and I wouldn't demonstrate anything at all. And he said, well, why don't you do that? And I said, how can I do a live stream of me sitting in a chair <laughs> just talking to them to teach and he said well fuck them that's what you I'm, I'm sorry i don't know if i can cuss on your show he's like yeah you can, he's like, you that, can that's what you would do that's what this is that's the class we're not trying to make content you're teaching a yoga class mm. so i i went in the next day i was in still in a lot of pain and i set up a chair and i looked into the camera because i kind of knew when people were there but i didn't i couldn't see them i didn't you know they weren't able to talk to me and I, yeah. I looked in the camera and I said, okay, everyone, this is the deal. I've been in a lot of pain. And yesterday I just did everything and I think it was bull and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. So I have to sit in this chair and I understand if you want to unsubscribe. <laughs> and I said, but this is what's going on because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to perform for you. This is about you practicing, not about me practicing. Mm. So you know, what happened? you know what happened is I got yeah. a yeah. slew of emails from teachers who were on the stream thanking me for modeling self-care uh, so mm -hmm. you know i would just say to you that it isn't sustainable to do every single class all of the stuff demonstrate it so to yeah. find ways where you are still and i i think sometimes it's just in our heads that we need to do that mm. um but for whatever it's yeah. worth nowadays i will do some like i would in a normal class but I can just stand there and watch what people are doing. That's the be the beauty of the two-way video classes. Yeah, um, you're, the funny th thing, what is the distinction to make there is that when you're filming a class online, there's a difference. If it's pre-recorded content, you, you're demonstrating, you're doing it at the class like all the platforms, I assume. But with a stream, because you can see the people, yeah, you could just speak and I um, I realized as well that you're absolutely right. Yeah, why should there be a distinction between in public, like public classes in person, and a two-way call, a uh, Zoom call where you can see the people? It's the same thing, isn't it? If you're looking at the screens, the little screens you have, especially if you have a, if you have a separate monitor like a projector or a big screen then you are able to see everyone, and not just see everyone, but you can actually see their name as well. You can so say for example in class you've got a big class and you've forgotten someone's name on Zoom it's there in the little box. It's true, <laughs> which is actually a big big benefit. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely worth thinking about because I'm at the moment I'm on a um, sugar-free diet. I'm essentially not eating any sugar. Wow, I feel like I'm a, deeply I, impressed oh. because you know one of my only kind of downfalls or vices is sugar these days i i have a terrible sugar addiction oh my god i'm so yeah. sorry that's terrible that's okay that's all right it makes it more real life <laughs> it is my wife calling but it's okay and she knows i'm doing <laughs> this too so she's not supposed to call that's okay no worries sorry about my that. dog might bark so these are things that happen when you podcast <laughs> but that's no, all good that's all good jay it's terrible yeah, it's um, terrible hold on the, a second the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen hold on yeah it's cool mate yeah it's all right but um, while Jay is hanging up on his wife, which is not to be encouraged. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, um, so the reason why I mentioned the sugar is because I've been doing these three classes a day. I've been demonstrating everything. 
And I haven't said this to anyone, by the way, so hopefully this hits, helps other people that are streaming and they may be feeling the same way. And to get me through some of the days, I've been eating a lot of sugar. And I, Jay, I would, ne- I would never eat an ice cream. I just don't like, obviously back in the day when I was overweight and drank, drank beer and all that stuff, I would. But nowadays, I just don't eat ice cream, chocolate bars, that kind of thing. It just, I just don't do it. And now it's become one a week. Well, sorry, it became one a week. Then it became every second day. And now it's like, oh, we've had our lunch. Let's go and have an ice cream. But the problem is sugar... Now, if you're a doctor and you listen to this, I'm sorry if I butchered this, but it causes inflammation. And I noticed my shoulder and one of my wrists really hurting. And I would never normally get injuries. So I think the excessive movement plus um, supplementing my energy with sugar has caused me to to feel injuries. And as you, exact same thing as you said, Jay, last week I was feeling like a hypocrite. I was talking to people about listen to your body, look after yourself, you know, all this kind of stuff. Balance is important in life. And yet I'm working like a dog eating sugar. That's not, I'm a a complete hypocrite. Well, here's the thing. I don't, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself. One, (laughs) I don't think I, I'm, I'm, you and I have some things in common, similar patterns in me. I would say I don't I don't think we should say the sugar causes the inflammation. I actually think the too much movement sometimes causes the inflammation. Like mm. I've tested this out too where I can eat some sugar and not have all my inflammation flare up. But mm. if I'm doing 3 classes a day, <laughs> yeah. But what I would say is it is a one there's a big physical tax on you. But even more than that, there's a certain amount of just, I don't know, psychological or, you know, you're on, you're like on camera and you're, Mm -hmm. there's a performance element to that, even if you're doing it in a humble way. I don't Mm -hmm. think we should kid ourselves about that, but it, when you're done with that, there's like, I don't know, I was a performer before I was a yoga teacher, like an actor and then a musician. It's kind of like when you're done with the gig, you're kind of like, you can't just go to sleep, you know, like <laughs> that's why like musicians go get pancakes in the middle of the night or something. You know what I mean? Like there's a, yeah. there's a counterbalance effect to it. And yeah. actually this is funny. There's this great science fiction novel by Rob Zelazny called, Oh gosh, I can't remember. Forgive me. Someone will know. It's this Rob Zelazny science fiction um, novel and it's not a novel, but a, a a book he wrote, and it it's basically based on the the fund the ideas of uh, yoga and Hinduism, but it takes place in the future. So like all the stuff they talk about in terms of like astral planes and people's abilities to have like transcendental consciousness and stuff, that has been developed into technology. So you can like mm. go into a machine that'll transport you into the astral. Like, so instead of having to meditate your whole lifetime and be a Buddha to get there, (laughs) there's now technology that will get us all there. So nobody has to like do that kind of uh, work. And then there's only a few people left who can still do it natural, kind of like Neo in the matrix or something. There's only like a (laughs) few people who can still do it. And then there's this like major problem that's going to destroy everything and they need someone who can still do it naturally. And they've got this one guy and they're like, how do we get him? And he's, they're like, oh, well, he decided he doesn't want to come to the relative plane anymore. He's, he's been off in the astral. Like, you got to go find him. So they go find him. And the way that they get him to come back down to, like, Earth is they start feeding him ice cream and, like, beer and, like, <laughs> like French fries. And they, like, they give him all of this, like, food, like, crappy junk food and sugar. And that's what brings his vibration Um, back Mm. down so he can like come Uh back down to the relative plane (laughs) so sometimes i do think like when you do a lot of work on in all seriousness i'm being fun but it does kind of like raise up your um your kind of energy or like your consciousness vibratory qualities and stuff and so stuff like eating sugar and doing that is kind of like a impulse reactive thing sometimes i'm not saying you should do it, but I'm saying that it is a way of kind of counterbalancing and it's almost like you can't be too perfect and sometimes you need something to kind of like make you normal. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying and that's, but see my counterbalance now as of this week is to get outside more. 
That's my counterbalance because I'm inside all the time because obviously yeah. on my computer or I'm so I'm either I'm either teaching yoga, writing about it, or watching people teach yoga and writing about them teaching yoga. <laughs> so yeah. and I'm just so I'm indoors indoors all the time. So my counterbalance is to get outside in nature, um, not be on my phone, and uh, to simply like be outside. But whereas before Jay. What I'd be, what I'd, the reason I go outside is to go to the shop and get an ice cream. <laughs> yes. Well, it sounds like I, I think here. Listen, ins- being outside with nature is way better than ice cream. I am not going to argue that. And I hear you because, like you, I do spend a lot of time on these screens. So going out and taking walk, I just did it yesterday. Now I had been kind of neglecting it. And for me, I have a thing like doing without my glasses. I don't know if you ever listened to that episode, but like. I've been wearing glasses my whole life and there's a thing about not wearing glasses when I'm out there. So I don't know. I'm with you that something more like that is better than ice cream. <laughs> what do you do? With your, what do you do with your glasses? You, you just take them off and be outside. You know, I had a naked guy, eyes. I had a guy come on named Nathan Oxenfeld who studied this method called the Bates method, which actually has a connection to the Aurobindo yoga lineage, which is why like if you go to some yoga classes, they make you do eye circles if you've ever done mm. that. Like that yeah. actually has a connection to this particular op- uh, optometrist named Bates from the early 1900s who was a critic of the current system that we are under in terms of vision and the way we diagnose people's visions and the way we prescribe lenses. Um, right. I mean, it's pretty profound. I want You can go real deep. People could go listen to the episode. But like, basically what it came down to me is that I started wearing glasses at a particular time in my life and there's actually all of these like psychological things attached to it and that Mm. actually our eyes when not using glasses, they don't have a fixed, um, uh, focus like they, the, it changes, but when you put them behind glasses, you fix it, you you fix a particular lens. Um, so, you know, the Bates method, it has like exercises that you do in terms of like some of it's even like you go outside and you look at clouds far away. I mean, it's, it's mm. stuff like that. Or even you go outside yeah. and you close your eyes and you let the sun hit your eyelids. Um, like it's because there's because the UV light on your eyes. I mean, there's all these little things that you do, like potentially like that. And then there's either other exercises. And some people have actually been able to improve their eyesight and stop wearing glasses this guy Nathan Oxenfeld was one of those people. Um, I wonder if he had anything to do with this book, which I got my dad, uh, which my dad quickly put to one side and never opened. But it's called <laughs> um, "Throw Away Your Glasses and See." Have you heard of this book? That might be connected. I'm not sure if that's yeah, Bates that's himself. It might about. be a student of the method, but it's something like mm. that. But it's not yeah. always like that. Catch like what I found out about it was is even more than. Like it got really philosophical for me, and apparently it does. Mm-hmm. That it isn't just about like exercising the muscles in your eyes or something. Like your eyes are connected to your brain and are fundamental per- to perception. Ooh. So it's pretty profound for me when you act, go back to your question for me to just not wear my glasses after pretty much I wake up in the morning, I put my glasses on. And then I take them off, maybe to take a shower and I put them back on. And then at the Mm -hmm. end of the night, I take them off and I go back to sleep because at some point in my life, I failed an eye test or I used to get some headaches, although there could be lots of reasons why I was getting those headaches. And I just Mm -hmm. have never questioned that. Part of it for me, just to share a little bit of what I'm talking about is I have a big mole on my face. Right. And I think that something about the glasses... I like the the way it looks. I like the way it, I feel like it obscures this fact that I have this big mole on my face. Mm. I don't mean to scare you, Jay. What's that? But could could not wearing could wearing glasses not uh, magnify the sun onto that mole? What do you mean? I don't understand. The question. As in, say you got the you got a mole on your face. Yeah. And does that mean it's hazardous? It's high risk for being in the sun. No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know that that's that's true. It's more just like insecurities about how I look, <laughs> I think, or, yeah. you know, and so I just, and it, it ties into like stuff from my childhood, honestly, like there's just, it's pretty deep stuff. And when I, when I take my glasses off and I go outside, 
there's all these things happening in me. I'm like, what the hell, you know, like, wow. So it's pretty interesting. Actually, it's funny that we're talking about this because I had Nathan on my show and then he's having me on his show. So like in a couple of days, I'm going to be talking to him for the first time. I I think I talked to him like seven months ago. And honestly, I started originally kind of really getting into it, but it brought up so much that Mm -hmm. I kind of had to set it aside. And then this whole pandemic thing, it's like one of those things where I didn't really have the bandwidth to take it on. It was like deep inner work. (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, it's interesting. It is, um, there's a lot of yoga when it comes to eyesight, especially if you're someone who got prescribed glasses in your life. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) I mean, but then, so it's, it's almost like you, that's the visual thing, but that you're clearly, you're, you're not, well, not clear. I don't make an assumption. Well, let me make an assumption. You can tell me I'm wrong. Um, I assume you're quite confident because you do a podcast that you've been doing for a long time. You know, you've got something like 200, how many episodes you got now? 218 episodes on iTunes. Um, that's, that's a shitload. That's (laughs) twice as many as me. Um, so Firstly, I mean, I, I could talk about podcasting all day. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. No way, man. I love to geek love out it. about podcasting. There's not a lot of people. Right, cool. So if that's what we do on this show, let's go ahead. I'm all happy to talk this, about it. What do you want to talk about? This is a safe space for, for podcast geeking. All right. Cool. So what, firstly, what, obvious question, but why, why did you start it? Well, I had had um, a blog for a long time back, mm. you know, in the early times of the internet and that even before there was Facebook and it was a real place for me to express ideas. I didn't see conversations in yoga journal magazine that I was interested in. And I remember like I wrote a post about it was before there was really blogs. I wrote a little thing about how annoyed I was that you never saw anybody talking about the things that I thought were important in any of these magazines. And someone said, well then why don't you write what you think is important? I said, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So I started (laughs) writing like a monthly thing, which I've continued to do for over 10 years now. And back then, it was very vibrant. There was a real yoga blogosphere. So the common threads would get deep and we would go, we would have really interesting, constructive back and forth. It didn't, it was before the age of trolling. I mean, every once in a while there was somebody who was mean, but (laughs) not like nowadays when you get trolls. And, at some point it did shift and it moved on to Facebook, I remember. And the common sense seemed to be happening more on Facebook than they were happening on the websites. Mm. Um, and then they just sort of died off. Like everybody who was doing them kind of over years, people peter out, you know, not everybody persists. Yeah. Uh, and at some point what I found was I got kind of good at writing a clickbait title because I could – write a title. I realized that if I wrote a clickbaity title, I would get way, they would go, you know, 20,000 reads, you know? Um, Even if like the article itself wasn't clickbaity, like even if it just had a clickbaity title to get people there, Mm -hmm. which was sort of a tactic I started employing. And at some point I also realized that the format, like 800 words, 900 words was so limited. Like I couldn't get all that nuanced. Uh, because it just, there's only so much you can do with 800 words. And so I was always getting accused of saying things I wasn't trying to say because I had to be kind of vague, couldn't get so nuanced or specific. And I started listening to podcasts, and I would have to say like one of my primary inspirations would be WTF with Mark Marin was a mm. big podcast that I was listening to. And I just loved that it was super long form. It, it got me off of TV. I was a big TV watcher. And then I started listening to podcasts instead. And I found that podcasts really stimulated my mind in really good ways. Like I would be creative and I would get inspired and I would think about other things while I was listening to them. And I'd write things while I was listening to them. And instead of yeah. TV, which just sort of numbed me out. Mm-hmm. So podcasts felt like a vibrant way to spend my time. And I loved that it was so long form because he would talk to people and he would get comfortable with them. And then these really interesting moments would happen. And I felt like, oh, this is what I want. I want this in the yoga world. I want to be the Mark Barron of the yoga world in the sense <laughs> that I wanted to have long-form conversations that were not scripted, that were about connecting with one another. 
Mm. And so, you know, I started trying to do it. And, you know, it takes a little while to figure out what you're doing and not be so nervous. And it also is a thing where people have an already existing idea about an interview. Like, I'm going to ask you a question and then you're going to answer the question and... And some people are more comfortable when I say, uh, you know, I don't write questions out. I mean, you, I knew right away, you sent me an email and I went to your podcast and I listened to like a minute and a half of your intro and I was like, okay, this will be fine. (laughs) Because (laughs) the fact that you're sort of present to just engage me like this without having Mm -hmm. to give me a whole set of questions for me to prepare answers to. To me, that's what Mm -hmm. makes podcasting really interesting. And all yoga teachers have scripts. You know, and, and sometimes I think it's okay to let those scripts like hear them because I, I want to. They're good scripts. But I will interrupt somebody at some point and people get annoyed with me for doing that because I think you get to way more interesting stuff when you don't. So to your question, I did the podcast because it became this really fun thing for me, frankly, to connect with people in a in a kind of analog digital way, like the podcasting is old radio essentially Mm. on digital. So that was really cool. And ultimately right away, it was just fun. And, And I started having these really good conversations. And then I had like one or two like kind of bigger name yoga teachers hear one and say, I want to do it. And I had, all I had to do was have like one good conversation with a sort of like a, you know, pillar of the yoga world, which I was just amazed. It was just like me and my boxers in my attic, you know, <laughs> talking to Eric Schiffman or something, you know? <laughs> so I just, it sort of blossomed from there. And ultimately it's really become my, one of my primary vehicles for learning. Like I learn so much. I just reach out to people I want to learn from and have a conversation with, pick their brains. Mm. And now I just think the listenership there's like a lot of solidarity, a lot of fellow yoga teachers like yourself and people who are out there trying to make do who are appreciating just having somebody else in a similar boat be real transparent. Mm. And again, not try to produce, not trying to like produce carefully constructed content. Mm-hmm. You're trying to let it have real life and breath to it. And that's a challenge in the digital world, but finding that bit of, and I'm going to dare to say kind of authenticity in the moment Mm -hmm. is what I find really exciting. So I, I'm, I'm all for podcasting in the last five years of doing it, you know, just to give you some numbers since we're geeking out, the podcast went from, you know, like 600 downloads a month show wide to over 50,000 downloads a month show wide. Wow. Oh my God. So, you know, that's amazing. I don't know how that happened. I just make them every week. (laughs) And, you know, I don't do anything. All that stuff they say about how to increase your audience, I don't buy it. I mean, I used to post out on social media every episode and do all the stuff that they say to do. And then that same producer friend of mine who told me to get on live stream, he's like, I don't think this social media is doing anything for you except taking up all your time. And he's like, and you have no idea. You have no idea what's bringing people to your podcast or not. Mm. And he said, the only way that you could figure it out is you have to turn the spigots off. You have to turn things off mm. so you could see. And I freaked out. I was like, we can't do that. I have worked so hard to get the listenership. We can't do stuff that's <laughs> going to hurt the listenership. And he said, listen, we're going to do it for like a couple weeks. And if it, you know, if we see a big drop, we'll just turn it back on. We'll do it again, you know? So... In any case, first thing we did is we just stopped posting out the podcast on like Facebook or Twitter or any of the social media feeds and just monitored the download numbers. And there was no change at all. Interesting. So there was no change at all to download numbers when we just stopped doing social media posts. And then we actually began to observe an increase in sales and email subscriptions, which is exactly what we wanted. Because the only place people could engage me was on my site, not on Facebook. Yeah. And it's counterintuitive to like a lot of stuff you hear. And I don't know that it's always true. Like if you're building from zero, sometimes like I already had, you know, 
it already gotten to a certain place and it, it might make sense to be on social media when you're trying to gain new people. Although I'm not always so sure that ultimately the way people come to my podcast, we've discovered is somebody says, hey, you should listen to this podcast. And the person says, huh, what's a podcast? And they say, here, let me see your phone. And they go to the podcast app for them <laughs> and they subscribe them like, you should listen to this. Like that's how it happens more than any other way that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I, th I think it's important not to bombard people because I now just do weekly episode and I do one post on my Instagram story and I don't have any, I just put new episode and the name of the person. That's it. I don't tell people why they should listen to it, what it's about. That's all. I, and that's compared to I used to try and do these cool little graphics and these little videos and all this stuff and it eats up a lot of time and plus I f sometimes I cringe at like uh cringe at the way I I don't know it, marketing in general I mean I think marketing is great I do love I'm interested in marketing but if you if I feel like I look at other people's work and I think to myself I feel like they're bombarding, they're, 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 they're selling me, they're wanting uh, me too much to pay attention to them and it's becoming a bit too much. And and I think you've got to do what you feel is right. And that's very interesting what you've just said, actually. That's that's something I'm going to well, think about. Well, here's, here's another thing. Have you ever heard of this idea uh, called uh, 1,000 True Fans? Oh, yeah, Kevin Kelly. Yes. That, I mean, to me, that mm. idea was really huge and the idea being that i don't need massive reach that i just mm. need to connect with the people who are really interested in what i do so i do think that right now i make like more of a living off of an email list of four thousand people than mm. other people i know who have a million followers on instagram mm -hmm. so having people who are really interested in what you do means you don't want to bombard them you don't need to and that's no, another don't. thing that my producer schooled me on. Like, we don't need to do a weekly email, you know? I mean, we need to do weekly emails to your subscribers who, like, like here's your weekly schedule of classes, like notifications for, like, live stream subscribers. That makes mm -hmm. sense. But to your whole list, every week, here's what podcast is on. No, I don't think we need to do that. Like, mm, That's a great point. And to, so yeah. just send one out a month when I do the blog post or when there's a thing or frankly, when there's a promotion, which we don't do all the time. But honestly, 40% offs work. I hate to say it. <laughs> they do. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've like grappled. We do this whole thing. We call it the douche line. Like, are we going to do the thing? <laughs> are we going to do the thing that people do to maximize how much money they can make? Is it okay? Do we, do we have to compromise? Does it feel crappy to do it? Um, mm -hmm. And there are some, things, some techniques out there that are crappy. We don't do them. I'm not going to do, yeah. here's the five steps to getting your yoga online from seasoned veteran, whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, you know, sell you the PDF on how to set up your live stream classes or whatever, you know, mm. but at the same time, you know, we offer a 40% off and people are grateful. They're like, Oh, I really wanted to get this. And now uh, I, you know, this made it, we incentivize getting something they were thinking about getting, which is something we feel good about that we're putting out there. Yeah. So it's not terrible, but again, there's a balance there. And in terms of marketing, all I would say is that sometimes some of the more conventional marketing ideas, they don't always apply to like independent operators. Yeah. Like the idea of big reach basically, or growth models, you know, it, it's smaller circles. Like I'll give you a story about marketing in my teacher's call, which I do every week, which is a Zoom call with teachers from around the world. And we have all these conversations. We were talking about marketing and they were like, should I pay for social media ads? I was like, no, I was like, I don't think so. I don't think it's a good idea for you to put money into social media ads. We've done, I've tried it and I, I'm from what I've experienced, I wouldn't do it. And I talked mm. to them about this idea of peer to peer connection. And one of the students did the most, well, I shouldn't say students, one of the teachers did the most incredible things, which I loved. She said, she 
and this was before everything, but she, she had this plant in her house that she really loved. It was her favorite plant. And she went to that plant and she made clippings of his plant that she put in like little teeny terracotta pots. And then she mm-hmm. attached like a business card to them. And she went to her like local town center, like on Saturdays where there was like a, a market every day, every Saturday. And she mm-hmm. set up a little table and she just gave away these little free plants with her card on them. And she got like three private students out of that, <laughs> which actually makes way more money than the group classes she was teaching. So to me, I was like that I'm interested in that, like real social <laughs> media, not digital, you know, manipulate you with algorithms, social media, but like actually connecting with other people and maybe when we finally get to come out of our houses, I know everybody's going to be freaked out, but I also think we need it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's quality over quantity as well. Like sometimes I got to a stage where I was thinking, I'm just going to teach as many classes as I can and appeal to as many people as possible. But then what you end up doing, you try to please everyone, you please no one, and definitely not yourself. <laughs> and, and, and instead, I, I decided to do less classes and more events that I find interesting. Um, and and I think that when you do that, initially there's going to be um, that kind of discomfort that you think, oh, I'm, I'm uncertain here because I'm doing something that I think is going to be interesting, but I don't know if anyone else is. But if you do, it's, you know, Kevin Kelly, by the way, if everyone, no one has listened or read the essay by Kevin Kelly, A Thousand True Fans, if you're a self-employed person, I'd highly recommend it because it talk, it, it says exactly, what, it does exactly what it says on the tin. If you've got a thousand people that like your work, say you've, say you've got a thousand people that follow you on Instagram, just a thousand people, and they, but they really like you. They, they, un, or they understand you or you understand them, you have regular... Of that thousand people, maybe seven hundred are going to go to your classes. Of those seven hundred, maybe you know four hundred going to go to your workshops. So those four hundred, maybe two hundred are going to go to your retreats over your lifetime. Let's say, for example, and then maybe a hundred of them are going to go to your teacher training over your lifetime. And that's essentially what it's saying: is that people buy from people. Um, I, would that be fair to say? Well, I would put it, this is the way, whenever somebody asks me about it, this is my quick like elevator yeah. pitch of sure. what 1,000 True Fans is, is that essentially, like you said, I don't need a lot of people. I need 1,000 people. So if I have 1,000 people on the planet who really believe in what I do and support it and would maybe basically buy whatever it is I put out, hmm. and then I put out $100 worth of stuff a year, I just made a living. And you can tweak those numbers. You know, it could be 500 people for $200 a year or it could be 2,000 people for, you know, less. Mm-hmm. Like you could, the numbers can, are, can move, but the idea being that it's like what you were saying, the people who really connect with you and are really benefiting from what you're doing, which is why they feel good about giving you some money, mm. um, connecting with those people and really sort of serving those people and like you said, it being about a, you know, a depth versus a reach, a qual- quality yeah. of something that you're providing and an accessibility that you're providing maybe that that is what people, which is why people are interested in rather than spending all your effort trying to get more Instagram followers <laughs> or something, mm. you know. You know, the thing is, Jay, man, you know, what's really f- interesting is that I look at my statistics too for my podcast and I'll see that I could speak to someone who's got a million followers and they'll get a couple of hundred listens. I could speak to someone who's got 5,000 followers on Instagram and they get 5,000 listens. I've had high profile people on the podcast and I'm like, this is going to get a big bump. Not necessarily. You know, sometimes you think somebody's way higher profile than they are, frankly. And also it's Mm. unless that person in some way, frankly, if they have a big platform themselves, and they put it out and say, hey, everybody, like when Adrian Mishler was on my show, Adrian Mishler's mm. got 2 million subscribers on YouTube or something. And she's really yeah. one of the few people who I think has really 
made it work in a real way. And we had a great conversation about that when she came on. She listens to the show, which is awesome. I wouldn't have known. Sent her an email like you. And she said, yeah, I listen. I love it. Oh, my God. So when Adrian Mishler came on and then on her Instagram went, hey, y'all, I went on Jay Brown's show. You should check this out. We got a big fat bump because she's got a big following. Yeah. But there's been plenty of other occasions where, like you, I expected, I'd expect that this person, because they were high profile, would bring all these people and it didn't at all. In fact, totally unknown people, but I just had an amazing conversation with them. Mm. <laughs> Get cute, you know? So I no longer, it's no longer about just getting like a big name person anymore at all. It is really just about having an interesting conversation. And Adrian as well, she is someone that I'm sure like like your podcast, this podcast attracts a lot of people who are just starting out teaching yoga and they want to figure out who can I model myself on? Who can I look up to? Not look up to, but look to who is um, doing it in a way that seems authentic. I know that word's overused a lot. But Adrian, my God, She's so funny. Like, she uses a lot of humor, which you don't get that much. Uh, you know, I used to find when I first started yoga, I thought, God, they, they take themselves too seriously, these yoga teachers. They think they they know it all and they're talking all spiritual. And it kind of put me off. It was Especially because I started with Bikram. You know, Bikram was the first style, one of the first styles I practiced. And I thought to myself, do you know what? Sod this. I don't like these guys, they, or these teachers. They, I can't drink water. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do my version of the pose. I have to do it exactly like they want to do. And I'm not saying like Bikram definitely has its benefits, the practice itself. But when I seen yoga with Adrian on YouTube, I thought to myself, she's really funny. And she's, you know, sometimes she's doing yoga wearing jeans. Or, uh, she's as so, and as well, um, thing about instagram is obviously we, we there's different types of privilege that people have instagram is pretty privilege if you're handsome or you've got a nice physique a nice body you're going to get more followers people you know it comes from the the greeks we like there's certain aesthetics that uh, we're drawn to and that's going to give you a lot of followers but in terms of relatability you might follow that person because they look great but does it end up making us hate ourselves because <laughs> like i'm never going to look like that they're doing phenomenal things that i just can't do um do you want does that is that person helping you or is someone like adrian for example i'm not saying like she's whatever adrian someone who just look like she is um she's like your I say that. I, I, I'm trying to. Be, I'm trying to compliment her, but here's what but, I would say about Adrian. Help me out, I, I, me out this one. She's easy to compliment because, frankly, I had an idea about her before I talked to her, which sometimes happens. You know, when I'm talking to somebody, big name person, and you know, not that I have any. I had watched a bunch of her videos, and like you, was really impressed. I was like, wow, she's really good. Mm. And but I was sort of opposed to this sort of like yoga for this and yoga for that. And, you know, I mean, I've kind of railed mm. against that kind of way of marketing. You know, I yeah. think sometimes it communicates things about yoga and makes it less holistic or something. And it makes it like prescriptive or rather than process or whatever. I don't know. But she doesn't do that really in her videos. It's just somebody who runs her YouTube channel knows how to run a YouTube channel, frankly. Uh, and we talked about that. She didn't do all that on her own from her basement. Like she had somebody who had already had a really successful YouTube channel set that all up for her. Ah, um, I see. But mm. I mean, what she does really well, like I think of her kind of like in a similar way, I think maybe Sean Korn, who I was also really had a fun time with because she's a huge yoga celeb from the time when I was coming up. And then I brought her on and she's like this foul mouthed New Jersey girl, which was amazing. I had no idea. <laughs> but she... She, like Adrian, like they fit the aesthetic that will sell well. They are beautiful women or whatever. They're, mm -hmm. you know, white, thin, beautiful women. Mm -hmm. They're also really smart, informed women who are aware of that and have mm -hmm. tried to leverage that in a way so that they can try to put out a message that counters that fact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know some people would still criticize it because we're so entrenched in the privilege, but to me, Adrian is a very real, authentic person. She she does have a actor background like me, and so she has the ability to be comfortable and communicate and present 
even when being on camera. Yeah. And it goes such a long way to just be natural like yourself. Like mm. you would do yoga with your friends while the camera's rolling. That's what people like. It's not this yeah. high production kind of uh, style. Mm. It was even before we were all just at home in our living rooms doing yoga together. Adrian was at home in her living room doing yoga with you, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's, that is, that's the best way to put it is that you feel like you're doing yoga with your friend when you do yoga with Adrian. Yeah, people like that. Completely. That's absolutely the same kind of dynamic as a teacher that I have embraced. It's not yeah. what I was exposed to initially. There was ne Although that's not true. There was always those teachers who were like that, but there was also the guru traditions and those authorities which have all pretty much collapsed at this point. Yeah. 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 We're, we're more like moving into where peers, aren't we? You know, it's the, the kind of hierarchy is flattening a little bit, I think, because we're able to be a bit more transparent because people are seeing us in our, well, obviously what we choose to put on, on, on social media, but they're seeing eventually if you put out enough content of yourself, videos, podcasts, whatever, People are going to quickly, eventually, kind of learn what you're really like, what what you're like, and and I think that puts it on you on a level where they're like, oh, this isn't a guru. <laughs> this is I I heard someone said to me the other day that goes, I like doing your classes because you're not that flexible, <laughs> and it makes me feel better. I was like, oh well, you kind of insulted me there, but thank you at the same time. <laughs> he didn't insult you. He didn't insult <laughs> no, you. No, like, yeah, you're right. I know. Yeah, you put me in my place. But um, no, and I I like I thought, oh, that's cool because when you're doing these live streams, you're looking at people's. Um, little screens and then you'll occasionally catch a glimpse of your screen and you're like oh i look like that when i do the pose and it doesn't you don't necessarily look as graceful as you thought you did um which is good because i, you realize, I agree right, i think that's one reality. of the wonderful parts about doing the podcast is it is my own kind of biofeedback machine or something and i yeah. as you know if you listen to my show have just chosen to exercise this kind of radical transparency where I could edit stuff out that I just don't. I'm just like, no, this is what happened. Mm. And I remember at the beginning, my wife was like, what are you doing? You know, I would just, I would be like really raw and talking into that microphone like I was talking to my best friend and then just putting it out publicly. And some of it was like risky. <laughs> mm. But I mm. felt like, no, I want to show what's really going on. I want people are looking for models, like you said, of yoga teachers. And transparency is the only antidote to all of this abuse in a way. It's like we got to be honest about what we're doing and what's happening and where we got it from. And mm. we can't pretend to know more than we do. And like you said, I do think it's this leveling of the hierarchy, if you will. Or I don't know if that, there's other kinds of hierarchies in our societies. But in terms of like in the early days, what gave you credibility as a yoga teacher was citing which guru was yours and now yeah. nobody's got any gurus in their bios anymore <laughs> and it has a lot more to do with like the reputation that you have because of the experience people have with you so if yeah. enough people have a fantastic yoga experience with adrian mishler on youtube that's what gives her credibility yeah and some people would scoff because there's a long history and tradition of yoga but at the same time the proof's in the pudding as they say yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, she she really is. Uh, what? So, um, I'm conscious of your, your time, Jay. I'm not what, in a um, rush. Okay, mate. Um, but I'm I'm interested because you are kind of a, a, an early adopter of of technology. Um, what do you see for yourself for the next say three to six months? Because I, I know here in Ireland, they're saying that we're going to go back to work in maybe august but from what i've heard from the studios it's going to be a lot longer than that so what do you see yourself in the next three to six months in terms of um anything you're going to change or any innovations you're looking into i have no idea <laughs> I, I just no. want to say that up front i have no i mean this is <laughs> such an uncharted place that we're in because you know in terms of what i'm doing like maintaining my live stream classes and doing the teacher's call and podcast and blog, that that's mm -hmm. carrying on as it has. That's my ritual and I carry on with it. What's changed is all the in-person teaching. 
So I live in Pennsylvania, and June 4th, my county goes from red to yellow, and we have like this reopening uh, plans. They have these like oh, like traffic light system, kind of like a color coded system. You go from red to yellow to green, and there's like okay, uh, like milestones that you're hitting sometimes it's about like making sure there's like new cases aren't coming and they're going down and like there's benchmarks that are have to be met for the your town to go from one to the other okay so you know i live pretty close to new york city which is a big epicenter so you know we're a little slower than some other more rural parts of my state Mm -hmm. but even in the yellow phase which is where we move on june 4th um, there's still no public uh, gatherings. Well, there is actually. See, it's weird. It's so weird, though, because they're allowing some public gatherings up to 25 people, but they're not allowing fitness classes to resume, which is weird. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. There might be outdoor things allowed, but at least for now, that's not happening. So until I can not only feel like the authorities are giving it a go-ahead to have group gatherings, but even after that, people feeling comfortable. I had events on the schedule because this year, you know, talking about 1,000 True Fans, I had a whole big plan to do a self-managed tour because mm-hmm. I learned that actually, hey, I could go on. Back then, I did this research. Wow, I could pretty much go anywhere in the world and find an Airbnb like house with enough room to move a table in the living room and set out 10 mats for like $200 a day or less. And I run the numbers and I figure out, hey, wait a second. I only need seven people to register for a two-day intensive that costs this amount. And I will make the same minimum I have been requiring of centers Mm. where there's 25 or more people. So I started it in January. I did one gig at a very well-known place, Try Yoga in London, big place. Yeah, I've been going there for a couple years. And then I did a gig in Vienna and Berlin that I did myself and kind of proved it. Actually, the money was pretty comparable. And I had like 10 people in my events and there was 25 people in the Try Yoga event. Just renting out an Airbnb. Well, those ones I actually put it out on the podcast, the idea, and a bunch of people reached out to me who had spaces. And I gave them a deal. I said, I will give you the rental money I was going to spend. Like, I'll give you the $400 for the space. Or you can have two free spots in the workshop, which is a $600 value. And they both said, I'll take the spots in the space. So they actually gave me their spaces for no money at all. I did all the registrations myself. Hmm. So I was on this whole, like, I'm putting this 1,000 true fan things in action. I'm going to see if this, I can, you know what I mean? And I'm going to kind of disrupt the whole, like, international circuit scene and see if I can just manage my own tour. Like, musicians do it all the time. They call it, like, uh, living room tours. Yeah, of course. Right? So why don't yoga teachers do living room tours? So I was doing that when the pandemic hit. (laughs) And so now I had a few events that were scheduled that I've just postponed. Now I've pushed everything to September. First I pushed it to Mm -hmm. June, from March to June. And now I've pushed everything to September. And even at that, it's still like, okay. And I've just, I've refunded people who just told me they wanted a refund. I've reached out to people. I did one virtually, which worked out okay for some folks in Australia. But I don't really want to do them virtually. They were meant to be in-person events, you know. I do a lot of online stuff already. So in terms of what I'm looking at in the next few months, I don't really know. I'm just trying to wait and see because even if they do open it up, there's still some question about how responsible I am for facilitating events. Mm. Like if somebody gets it at one of my events... How do I feel about that? Of course, everybody's got to take their own responsibility. And it's just, it's turned into a pretty big question. Like, it's what I've been talking about on this show. Because a lot of times in yoga, we talk about this idea of like trusting your intuition, like your inner sense of knowing and developing that. Yeah. And yet, when people are freaking out, that can sometimes get taken to an extreme where now you believe conspiracy theories. (laughs) (laughs) You know? 
So yeah. trying to like make sure. So even like myself, my wife and daughters, they went to go visit my in-laws in Virginia. Yeah. And we had like this major, are we, do we feel like that's safe or not? And so, you know, we, we took precautions. We on both sides totally quarantined and had no contact with anything for like three weeks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then they went and I'm kind of doing it now and I'm going to meet them. But, you know, we're, we're being like, oh, maybe overly cautious. But at some point mm -hmm. I just felt like, you know what? Our families being separated and not being able to see each other is actually hurting us, hurting us. Yeah. So it's this very, and I feel the same way with, you know, like getting back to normal with yoga classes on one level, as I said to you earlier, I'm really hungry for that. I want to hug mm -hmm. people again. And I want to be in the same room with people again. I also want to be a responsible citizen. So just trying to figure that out, I don't, I don't really have an answer right now. I have to wait and see and kind of like trust and verify because I tend to be very skeptical. That's what I wrote about my blog post this month called is trusting my intuition delusional. <laughs> 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 you know, because my intuition sometimes tells me what I'm being told is not the whole story, I don't think. Mm. And I tend to be skeptical of mainstream media and stuff. So I do think that there's a level of discernment. We have to be able to, like, be able to take in the best science that we can find and also still trust our own ability to know truth from within. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think everybody's got to see how they feel. I've been asking my teachers, each, the teacher, not my teachers, the teachers in the class this week, like, has anybody started teaching again? Are any centers opening up? And they have, I have gotten reports of like a few centers who have started to do. Some of them are like outside classes. Some of mm. them are just like really spaced out, like only four or five people allowed. Nobody's using yeah. masks though. That was my big question. It's like, is people, are people teaching with masks on? Like, is that like a thing? Are we doing that? And uh, nobody was teaching with masks. Mm. Except if you're in Japan. In Japan, it's not that weird. They've been no, wearing the masks no, for a long time in Japan. But yeah. I don't know. For me, it definitely feels weird to wear the masks. So I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting, I think, at least another month hmm. and then i normally i already had kind of didn't have much planned for the latter part of the summer so you know it's i don't know i've been playing by your frankly i did receive assistance i applied for the assistance there was a couple at one point i freaked out and i just like applied mm -hmm. for all the assistance programs that they were passing <laughs> for gig workers because they passed some stuff you know they also mm -hmm. like did major giveaways to the corporations, but they did pass some pittance for us. And so I, I just applied mercilessly and ultimately I got approved for a couple of things. So that actually has really helped me to like tide me mm -hmm. over during this period of time where I can't do any in-person teaching. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's true for a lot of people. And, there, and I feel a little guilty because I'm sure there's lots of people out there who need help even more than me, but... What are you gonna do? Just trying to make it, make it through it. Yeah. Yeah, especially at the start when this first happened, we didn't know what the story was. It was fair to that. I was the same way. I, I went straight down to get the uh, unemployment benefits. I thought, well, I'm not going to be employed. I thought that's it for me now. I'm not going. I better look for a different job. I didn't think about the whole streaming thing. And but yeah, supposedly the Irish government here they're paying three fifty a week, three hundred fifty euro a week, which is a lot to everyone. Uh, and so, and supposedly next year, I don't know. I've been told this, but it may be wrong. That everyone has to pay it back. So uh, I'm I'm not. I've cancelled my. I mean, I'm not like that. I don't rely on that. So, um, but uh, the paying it back thing is not cool. I mean, again, that's when you shut mm. down everything. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. What can is that offering need like some that people kind have no of assistance is the only. I mean, again, they. They pump it into the market, so I don't know. We don't want to get into the weeds with it, but no. But, I just think. But it, we're actually lucky. Me, me, like we are lucky that yeah. we are already have some sort of tech uh, online presence, and and I actually enjoy this type of thing. Whereas some people, let's say in the in the 
food business, restaurant business. I mean, pub the pubs here. They're, they're that's God love them. They're, they're really. And um, let's suffering. not glamorize it too much. I don't make my full living off of the podcast and live streams. I mean, I make fifty mm, percent climbing mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. but the rest of it was from in person teaching. You know, so. Yeah. I need but to do when, I need to do both to support those two kids and you're about to have a kid too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you told me. So, you yeah, know, it is true. it does kind of change the calculus when you as we were saying at the beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, when you take on different roles and responsibilities, um, I do think a, a mix of both is makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not going away anyway, the streaming bit side of things. Um Jay. That is an hour and five minutes, sir, and that was fantastic. I want to say to people that are listening, check out Jay Brown Yoga Talks because uh, I'm going to call you the OG of, that means the original gangster, <laughs> I, I believe, of uh, of the yoga podcasting game since I've gone gangster mode for some reason now. <laughs> I'll take it. But, um, yeah, yeah. But man, thank you so much for being so consistent in, uh, in producing authentic content. Um, it's... Uh, we can all learn a lot from you by listening to your podcast. And um, I really appreciate you taking an hour of your day to chat to me and being so um, open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's been a real pleasure, man. Oh, it's been great fun for me. And I, I take a great joy in talking with you. And I appreciate you, whatever, picking up the baton. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I find conversations like this interesting and helpful to have and to hear. And yeah. so, again, I kudos to you for uh, coming correct just to carry the <laughs> lingo. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you, thank you, Jay. Um, okay, mate. Well, this is going to be out um, this Thursday, which is going to be the first week of June. That's that's all people need to know. Cool. Um, but um, yeah, man. Um, happy International Yoga Day, which is twenty first, I believe, next next month to you. Um, and um, hopefully we'll do this again sometime soon, man. Hey, man, I would be happy to come back again and great to connect with you. <laughs> yeah. All right, sir. I'm off to go and get sunburn, and, but not eating ice cream. No <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little ice cream's probably okay. I, I, I'm of the view if I put like that on myself, I was like, no sugar. I will eat massive amounts of sugar. Like it's like with my yeah. kids, it's the same thing. So I, I do believe that there needs to be boundaries. Like I talk about that a lot, like gentle yoga is setting a boundary and working within the boundary. And the same is true of sugar. So, you know, there's definitely times where I think like abstaining completely is, is the right choice. But Mm. in terms of like sustainable plans, at least for me personally, like a hard dogmatic, no, never Mm. will backfire on me. So finding, what is an acceptable amount and maybe the acceptable mm-hmm. amount is none it depends on you and your patterns and really like what's what your experience is but i don't mean to like <laughs> step on it but i just think for me it's, i've had to really cultivate discipline in a way that doesn't set me up for failure but supports yeah. me to make the choices that help me be the person i want to be and feel the way i want to feel so. <laughs> well said <laughs> alright cheers Jay I'm gonna cool man well hey that is the episode this is the outro I'm adding outros in now so I can say thank you thank you for listening thank you for spending an hour of your day to listen to myself and maybe learn from my guests any feedback any questions you can get in touch with Jay at jbrownyoga.com or myself kevinboyyoga.com ie which is for ireland please leave a review on itunes please leave a rating as well that would really help or maybe you simply share this episode with someone that you think could find it of value that would both all of the above what i just mentioned there would be great yeah feel free to get in touch with us hope you have a great week and i'll catch up with you next week <laughs>